0: Looking at the Word became flesh, this is John 1 verses 1 to 14. And this is our uh, first move into the New Testament in our series. We've, been, we've just finished the Old Testament in Malachi, uh, a real deep dive into that. And we've been looking at that for a number of weeks, probably months. Building us up uh, and ready for when we have the first sign of the fulfillment of the law through the arrival, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And so today we start this discovery in John. And within these verses, what you'll find is the very nature of God. What we find in these verses are core truths of faith that should not be disputed. And we'll look at a couple of those. And so today, there's no real um, like end message as in uh, we get to the end and go. So go and now do this. This is, a, this is a bit of a deep dive into understanding who God is. Uh, and so I, I, I've quite enjoyed this. It's been very difficult to grasp because there's no... There's no real topical ending to this. It's not like, go now and do this. So this is, this is going to be, I think, is going to be quite interesting. Um, but I think in the same vein, we're gonna, we need to get ourselves back into the word and not rely on too much on these um, worldly topical things. I think we need to get back into the word and get to grips with what the word tells us. And so ultimately what we find is the will of God above all else to provide the only means by which men and women can be saved. Faith in Jesus Christ, who is God, And the Son of God. That is disputed uh, in a strange way. You would not think so, but apparently it is. uh, And I'll talk about that as well. And what I hope we gain from today is just to understand why it's important to be rooted firmly in the Word of God. So that when we profess and share our faith with others, uh, we can accurately convey a reason for our hope. A faith that is rooted in a well reasoned understanding of the Word. So that we know exactly why we believe in one true God and Jesus Christ, who is God. And so I hope we'll get to grips with this. This is John. If you have read John, it's quite heavy. So bear with me as we just even these first 14 verses get quite heavy uh, indeed. So let's look at this. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Uh, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And made his dwelling among, among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. Who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. A lot to unpack. I think you'd agree. So when we start this reading. What we find is John telling us. That uh, before anything existed. The word existed. The word translated is logos. Uh, meaning the word of God. And this, this would be used by rabbis. Uh, to speak of God himself, called the Word of God. So they would refer to God as the Word of God, um, that he is God. But the beginning that John is talking about is actually before the beginning, which you'll find, you'll see in Genesis 1, verse 1, and it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What we find John talking about here is not the beginning of heaven and earth, but the God who has been in being, and has always been the beginning. God who is self-existent. God who is not created, but creator. Would you believe that that is sometimes disputed? Uh, people, Many people uh, even propose that, or want to propose, that God had to be created. And that's not true. <laughs> God is self-existent. But the mystery of this non-created God can stump us today. We talk so often about how mankind has created, invented so much of technology and advanced the development of civilization, but where did the inventors come from? One example is a watchmaker. watchmaker creates and makes watches, but who created the watchmaker? And then you might say, well, his parents created him or her as the watchmaker. And I say, well, who created his parents? And you say, well, his parents' parents. And then his parents, 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 and then his parents, he can go on and on. If you ever read the the, uh, family history of Jesus, of where he came from, what you'll find is it goes all the way back to the beginning. And that's what we find mankind to be, is that you can say that parents, of course, gave birth to children, but actually, ultimately, in God's will, God created uh, his creation. And so we talk so often about how we are so good at creating things and yet God is the ultimate creator. But we are creative, and that's allowed. That's okay. It's good to be creative. God, uh, as John describes, is unmeasurable. It is incomprehensible to understand the existence of the one true God using our own relative understanding of the human life cycle. In other words, you cannot say that, God is formed or birthed or dies, because he isn't dead, in the same way that we do. And so one of the the troubles that many people have in understanding God's existence is that we try to apply, maybe more subconsciously, how humans live and die and then try to apply that to God. It's one thing why we don't understand the Trinity sometimes. It's very difficult because we try to put it in our own context as human beings. So John makes clear that this God cannot be explained using limited understanding of our own experience, our own existence. In other words, we cannot understand fully this God if we make God in our own image. The God we make in our own image is not the God in the Bible. That's that's basically what we do. We try to make God our own little personal God. And then we've got all different versions of God around us. And instead, I would say that's harder. If you're doing that, it's such a hard way to live as a Christian. And yet we can go back to the Bible and just read all about him, simply who he is. And so what we find is we're just getting stuck in this uh, developing God in our own image. So on that same subject of this ever-existent God, we we understand that the ever-existent Jesus in the Trinity. In John's statement, what we find is evidence of the Trinity of God. The word was God, the word that was with God. And what we find is an acknowledgement that Jesus is God. In John's description, what we find is that God is God. That doesn't mean two gods. But clearly results to the God in three persons known as the Trinity. Three persons who are God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's why we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because they're all God. So what you will try to use logically to understand uh, that is looking at it from a human point of view uh, I cannot be three persons in one. How can I be three persons in one? And we think too physically in the earthly realm, in this realm, about how we understand who God is. We say, well, I can't be three persons in one. No, you can't. But but God can be three in one because he's God. He is God. Sometimes we lose that aspect. and We like to bring God down to our level, that he can only do things that we can do. God is God, the Holy Trinity. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, yet they are equally God. We've got the Holy Spirit making one God in three persons. There's um, an interesting point of view from the Jehovah Witnesses. It's a very interesting um, subject, This, especially these verses. Uh, the Jehovah Witness believes that Jesus is the Son of God, But is not God. There's a a whole load of problems with that theology. If Jesus is not God, in my view, from what I've read, he cannot save us. Do you understand that? If Jesus is not God, he is not able to save mankind. If he's not God, he is a man. So the belief is that he's basically a man impugned with godliness. It's wrong. That's wrong. That's not theology. Theology is that God. Jesus is God. And only God can save us. He does not bestow powers upon Jesus. That's not how it works. The Jehovah Witnesses, this is their their text. Uh, They say this, in the beginning the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. If you notice the little difference there, small g, a. Um, This is worrying. The problem with this approach, really from a... Uh, literary point of view is that they believe because it doesn't have the in the text, in the original text, in front of the word God, that that means it isn't God. The problem with that is that there are countless mentions in the Bible of God without the word the in front of it, where they use a capital G. There's all sorts of places where this happens in the original uh, translation of the word. In essence, it really serves a purpose to push a self-made doctrinal belief that unsurprisingly is inconsistent and does not stand up to scrutiny. Greek scholars everywhere refute this statement, do not agree with this interpretation, and agree that it is indeed the God, the one true God. So ultimately, John moves us to understand that we are only possible because of him who made it possible. slow. John 1 verse 3 says this, through him all things are made, without him nothing was made that has been made. John takes this point further and says, in him was life, further emphasizing this point, that God is God alone, who gave life to creation. Colossians 1 uh, verse 16 says this, uh, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In these first few verses, what we're asked to accept is that God is, that is not defined by our own interpretation of God or that the existence of God is determined by us, but that God exists whether you like it or not. And that's comforting, that should be comforting as Christians, that God exists because God said so. That's what we should believe, because God has all authority. Once you give your life to God, to Jesus, you accept that God is God, and God is real. It's interesting that when you look at these theories posed by scientists as to how the universe came into existence, there appears to be much more leaning towards a principle that something pre-existed. There's something had to exist before we existed. And so I pray, as I hear each theory getting closer and closer to the word, that one day these scientists will all come together and go, there's a God. He's real. There's a God that created the universe. If you ever want to see anything like that, you can, you can look these things up on um, on Google, and you can find out the chances of this universe coming together. Um, billions and billions. So I can't even remember what the what the, the, the number is, but it's, it's a huge amount that we even able to breathe, that we even exist in the first place. How you can't think that's created is beyond me. I struggle with the concept that people think it's luck. It, it, it does trouble me. But one particular theory by uh, a guy called Barber, I think it's Berber, Barber, I think his name, suggests that time itself does not actually exist meaning we no longer have to worry about when time began because every moment is now and not relative to time. It's interesting that if we take away the question of how did the universe exist, the answer to the question is answered. Well, a good way to get out of a very difficult question, I would say. And So you see, without the life-giving God, there is no life. When John says, in him was life, what we are to understand is something far more than our existence as a being, And instead understand that the intervention of life, uh, sorry, intervention, invention of life came from God, the principle more so than anything else. The Greek word life is translated as uh, Zoe. It's not Zoe, but Zoe, Zoe, uh, which means the life principle Uh, without the without God, who provides a principle of life. There's no light. There's no life. God is life and light. Without Jesus, we're in darkness. Uh, And dead, but praise be to God who can and does overcome darkness. Uh, It says here, here we've got it on here. um, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1 uh, verse 5. The light is not merely of natural light, not one that can be overshadowed by objects, but one that is so powerful that darkness cannot overcome or comprehend it. Genesis 1 Uh, Verses two to three says this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the same way we see in Genesis, we see darkness obliterated by God at the mere uh, mention of a command. So John was his forerunner. And so the witness to the coming light that was Jesus, it was made specifically clear that he would be a witness to this light that was coming. John 1 verses 29 to 34 says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptized with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. When uh, then John gave his testimony, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who has sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. I love that message. That's just amazing. Some saw John as kind of this crazy person, beard, shabby clothes, the whole lot. And yet, I, I like the fact that God makes the uh, what appears to men to be crazy to be truth. I love that. And this term this term witness, uh, that John being a witness is fundamental in establishing John's role in being crucial to the set of events that would lead to Jesus being identified by him. Uh, it's all been carefully laid out by God. If we take our understanding of a witness, if you've ever been uh, seen or been a witness in a court of law, what you are doing uh, is testifying that you are a witness to something. That might be obvious, but what might not be obvious is that no, you no longer stand in neutrality to that event. You're no longer neutral to the event that you're speaking on behalf of. Now you've, you've seen, you know a truth and you're speaking on a side of that truth or of the truth. So you no longer stand in, in neutralness, in neutrality. And so the only thing you can do is testify the truth. You're no longer neutral. And when you know the truth, don't you just want to keep telling people the truth? Whether it's about God, whether it's about something else. When you know something, you tell people assuredly, this is what I know to be the truth. And this is us today. When we witness that we are Christians who believe in an eternal God, who've been redeemed by Christ Jesus in his death and resurrection through repentance, then what we are saying is we are no longer neutral in our way of life. We now live to Jesus. And so the truth, the truth is now something that is what we profess to people. We don't merely fold Jesus into into the neutrality of everything else we believe. He's not an add-on, as I've said before, in life. But now stand on one single witness truth, that through Jesus Christ we've been redeemed and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because now the truth has been revealed to us. A sense of being neutral or even detachment from the Creator is what John reveals as we read further. Our fallen nature is so fallen, that we do not believe in the very God that gave life and breathed life into things. It says here in uh, John 1, 9 to 11, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. maybe we can add a typical example from our own human experience of families and children. I've experienced and witnessed a sense in children who reach teenage years, suddenly developing an attitude of not acknowledging how they came into this world. We'll call them maybe being a bit ungrateful. I can testify myself to such rebellious behavior. And whilst I don't think I was a problematic child, bubbling underneath was a sense of self-sufficiency that did not require me to acknowledge or recognize that which brought me into the world, namely my parents. What I failed to acknowledge is that my self-sufficiency had a flaw, that when it came to providing food, money, and means to live, I lived in a contradiction or even hypocrisy of that so-called self-sufficiency. I ultimately needed to acknowledge that I was my father's and mother's own. It's amazing when you're a teenager, you don't really pick up on the fact that you are living in a contradiction when you have that that, that time when all I think most teenagers have when you have a sense of rebellion. It does happen to many. But we don't see the contradiction in it, do we? Our, our parents still provide the food on the table. They provide the money in order for us to go out and enjoy ourselves. They provide the roof over our heads. Isn't it interesting how it just correlates to the Bible that Jesus, that God says the same thing? That we do this, we don't recognize him, and we, we, don't, we don't see Jesus as our own, as Jesus is for us. It's really weird. It's a strange concept that we reject God, the one who created us and the one who loves us so dearly. We are Jesus's, but we reject him. Sad times, but we want to be a witness to the truth that is Jesus wants all to be saved. As with the world and belief in Jesus, it's apparent that we do exactly the same with God. We rebel and want to live our own life when it suits us, raising our fists up to God for how unfair he is when life seems troubled. Yet do not speak of him at all when we need the very provision of his creation to survive and live on this planet. So some reject God and some receive God. For those that receive and believe in God, we no longer have to live in a state of constant flux. Now we've been subjected Uh, to the truth of our very own sinful nature, uh, we have revelation of God and the truth of ourselves. No longer then should our relationship be one of questioning God's so-called unfairness, like some infant child stamping their feet, but one of understanding the constant revelation of God's wisdom, knowledge through living in a broken world. So what we become are children of God in a restoring relationship with him, living in a broken and fallen world. As opposed to and not being children of a broken world living in a fallen relationship with God. I think when you really take this apart, I think what I find when I was reading and uh, studying this, uh, these passages, is that, and I can say this because I'm a Christian, but I think it's harder to live the other way. I think it's harder to keep, keep stressing about how God doesn't exist and keep fighting how God doesn't exist. And then, my, and then on top of that, I have to live my life against God as well every day. When He just gave them me that revelation, it's like, wow, this is—it's just lifted a whole ton of weight off my shoulders. No more fighting. I can just accept Him. This new birth is something that brings changes to our life. I'm going to give you, as I bring this to an end, three. Quotes uh, to him as Spurgeon, and the final one is Morgan, uh, and and this is the first one. Spurgeon, he says this: uh, the man is like a watch which has a new mainspring, not a mere face and hands repaired, but new inward machinery with freshly adjusted works which act to a different time and tune. And whereas he went wrong before, now he goes right because he is right within. What we find in these verses is is not a God that is hard to find, but instead the God that has come in flesh and dwelt among us. Spurgeon then, quoting Spurgeon again, it says, if God has come to dwell among men by the word made flesh, let us pitch our tents around this central tabernacle. Do not let us live as if God were a long way off. Jesus came in grace and truth. He came to give grace to people who did not deserve it. He came in truth in the hope that those who hear would live to believe that Jesus is Lord and be saved from a certain hell. This is the final quote as we close uh, the message today in our service. Uh, it says, uh, these two ideas should hold our minds And direct our lives. God is grace and truth. Not one without the other. Not the other apart from the one. In his government there can be no lowering of the simple and severe standard of truth. And there is no departure from the purpose and passion of grace. The truth is there are two ways to go. There is to believe in God and there is to not believe in God. The destinations are entirely different. And so what we do is we pray and we share the message of people that we hope that they will accept Jesus. Because I'm, I'm telling you in my life, whilst I am reve- revealed in truth, I understand my frailties, my flaws. My life is easier. It's a weird thing to say, because you're a, you, you see yourself every day now more than ever as a Christian, and you see your faults. But we have a God that's forgiving that gives life, eternal life, to those that believe. And all it takes is to say, Jesus, I believe that you are God, and I accept you into my life. I think that's a simple, hopefully, simple introduction to the New Testament. bit heavy in places, I think. But we have to get ready to really dig into the Word, because I'm really worried. I believe that the Holy Spirit has troubled me with this. And so at some point we'll be digging into that even further and really getting into how do we, how do we tell people the good news but in, in an accurate and right way that we're not afraid of the truth of the gospel in the hope that even if, as, as Jesus did, even if people hate us for saying it, that they can hate me all they want, but if they give their life to God, then that's the victory. Am I here to make friends? I want friends but not at the detriment of the gospel. The gospel must come first. Let's pray, and then we'll close our service today. Lord, we just want to thank you that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again so that we can come into the presence of a holy God. We can come and be restored in relationship to an awesome, powerful God. How is that even possible? Knowing what we do every day, knowing what thoughts flow through our heads every day. And yet, Lord, through grace, forgiveness and restoration, through repentance, Lord, we are restored to the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to ask you today that you remind us this week that we we always have God with us. King of the universe, as the Jews say, King of the universe. We thank you, Lord, that you are giving in love. But Lord, you are truth as well. And Lord, we thank you for not muddying the water with the word, but making it clear that those who believe will be in eternity with our Father in heaven. Oh, Lord. We come, we ask forgiveness of the things that we've done this week that are just not honoring our God. And say, Lord, will you forgive us? And with a contrite and genuine heart, the answer, I know because I read the Bible, (laughs) says you're forgiven because of Jesus. So, Lord, we just want to thank you and come back to Christianity 101. Jesus is Lord. Jesus saved us by dying on the cross and rose again. Jesus, who is God. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Amen.